You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Join us in Judges chapter 4, verse 1. And let's, let's pick up here, and then I'll just read through verse 10 today. Is where we're going to be Here's what God's Word says. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heroshet Hagoim. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidot, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali, or Naphtali and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh, and Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Let's pray again. Father, we just come to your word and once again we're thankful for it. Every word in it. Some of it harder to understand than others, but sufficient for us. More than sufficient for us to understand who you are. Your holiness, your righteousness, our sin, and your plan in Christ. Lord, we pray that your spirit would now guide our time as we think about the words we've just read May you encourage our hearts and convict us where we need conviction, where we need to move from one place to another. Move us, Lord. And may we be willing to listen to that move, to listen to you through your word. So bless our time by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, honestly, I had not really been looking forward to this passage. Um, like, what do we do with Deborah? And she seems to lead Israel, and yet the question, isn't that a role for men? And then there's chapter 5, which we didn't even read today, we'll get to, which is a song of poetry, and, and then how does that connect to chapter 4? But as I studied this week, even one week in, I am looking forward to this. this God's Word is good again and again and again. 
And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll enjoy this study because, well, hopefully enjoy it. We're going to spend about three weeks here in chapters 4 and 5 looking at Deborah and Barak. And I want to help us see a celebration, I think, of the roles that God has given to men and, and women. And once again, through all this, see His might on display once again. So let's, do, let's just look into the text, head back to the text into verse 1. To see where we are at, this will not surprise us now that we've been in Judges. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. So Ehud dies surprisingly. I don't know what, there's no mention of Shamgar here. He's not mentioned, but nonetheless, their left-handed deliverer, remember him, he had succumbed to death. And once again, Israel has forsaken the Lord. Their hearts are corrupt. Notice once again, this is not anything new. They did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. God sees the evil. He sees all of what they, and we, by the way, do. And whether or not we think we can hide it, He sees it. All things, whether they're good, whether they're evil, they take place within the sight of the Lord of the heavens. He sees God sees you at 2 p.m. in the afternoon and He sees you at 2 a.m. in the middle of the night. That's a blessing that He sees and it's also, we look at it and go, He sees everything, He sees everything. And our sin, He sees. It's not just even a sin that's a horizontal problem with our spouse or our kids or where we're at. In fact, It's evil in God's sight. And so our sin is before the Lord. It's really a vertical problem. It plays itself out and we face consequences, but we have a sin problem before the Lord. Well, it's that sin in Israel that once again their corruption brings them into the consequence of this. Look at verse 2. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Heroshet Hagoim. Those who sold themselves to sin are thus sold by the Lord into the hands of the enemy. And here we meet these two characters, Jabin and Sisera. So let's look at them. One Jabin, he's titled here the, the king of Canaan. And he lives in Hazor. That's a city, if you've got it on your map, do you remember this little map we gave when we started this? Or ask me if, I, don't th- I think we're out in the back, but um, if you've got a little map, it's just north of the Sea of Galilee where we find Jabin, this king of Canaan. That's where we find him. So we're in, we're in northern Israel, just to geographically set the stage. And this is actually not the first time we meet a particular Jabin who is from Hazor. Um, I didn't realize this, but I think I would. I didn't remember. Joshua dealt with this same group back in Joshua chapter 11. We won't look at it. But there, Joshua destroyed them. Even destroyed a Jabin at Hazor. But it would seem that another Jabin has grown up. I don't know if they just like the name. Like, that's a good kingly name. We'll name him again. Another has grown up. I mean, this is some you know, years and years later. They've grown back up to be a, a, a threat. And not even just a threat to oppressing the people and yet used of God to then discipline His people. God will use them 
in a consequence. That's Jabin. Then we find Sisera, or if you want to be Spanish about it, Sisera. You could say it that way. That's actually how it's pronounced. If you want to be Sisera, it sounds like, yes, Sarah. It doesn't mean that. It's Sisera. He's the commander of Jabin's army, but he lives about 30 or 40 miles away uh, in this Herosheth Hagoim. It's kind of near or a little bit northwest. If you've got Megiddo on your map, you'll see it there. That's where he lived. I don't know why they're separated. Why does one live here? The other one live here? Perhaps it could mean that Jabin's territory was so large, he lives up in Hazor and his commander lives over here in Herosheth Hagoim. He's got these chariots. Chariots only work really. They don't work. They're not like SUVs, chariots. They're flat land chariots. Maybe that's why he's living there. That's where the chariots are. It's a large area though. And so we find Jabin and Sisera or Sisera. All right, head to verse 3 then. Here's the problem. Here's the crying out now. Verse 3, Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help. For he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. And it's there we find him again, those dreaded chariots of iron. It's like the, it seems like the F-16 or F-22 of the day. Like you got 900 of those and we're, we're done for. And so that's behind Israel crying out to the Lord. But also Sisera is strong. He's got the 900 chariots, but he's also ESV says he's cruelly, he dealt with the people, he oppressed the people cruelly. Another word there might be violently oppressive. So it wasn't just 20 years where God seemed absent and yeah, we got another leader, we don't really like him, but it's okay. There's oppression and it's violent and that's what's going on in this land, which then brings them to cry out. 20 years Israel lives under this bearing the fruit of their sin. And so 20 years of this fruit of oppression. And yet, God right, is not beyond the cry of His people. He is a steadfast, loving, long-suffering Lord. And so we've got an introduction like this in Judges here. Much like other stories that we've read of the Judges, we see this. But then the narrative shifts, and it shifts then to God's deliverance. And it's going to be our focus for the, really the rest of our time today as we look at verse 4 and beyond. So look with me again now as this deliverance starts to take place in Deborah and Barak. So verses 4 and 5. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. So geographically, we were in the north, right? Now we move down to the south, just north of Jerusalem, and we find Deborah. Deborah, a prophetess and a judge between Ramah and Bethel. I think those are on your, on your map as well, so you can kind of get an idea of where she's at and where this is at. We're told she's the wife to La Pidoth, something like that. She's even got her own palm tree. It's the palm tree of Deborah. That's where everybody comes for the judgment. 
And it's here in this section, I believe, the writer of Judges wants us to take note of something in what we've just read. Here we find a woman in a position of leadership for the people of Israel. And by the way, doing quite well at it, all were coming to her. Now, as a prophetess, she's listed as a prophetess, she joins the line. She joins the line of Miriam, Aaron, uh, Aaron's sister, Huldah, there's Huldah in 2 Kings. There's a few others uh, listed. Even there's uh, Anna in the New Testament. Remember Anna the prophetess? She comes and gives thanks to see the baby Jesus and speaks of him to those that are around. She's called a prophetess. So it's not an unheard of term, but here we also see Deborah in a significant role of leadership as a judge. And it's a role, I believe, was to be reserved for a man. I realize even stating that these days, right? That's kind of like, whoa, are we talking, about, wait, what's for a man, what's for a woman, and, and this sort of idea. It's a hot issue, but I think Scripture is clear. This one, you could argue, is it or not? There's some reasons, though, to make me think this way. Scripture, definitely clear in the role of men leading in the church. But here, think with me on this role for her. Here's God's creative intent is for godly and good, godly and good male leadership. And the woman was beautifully crafted, created as a helper to complement the male. And we're going to even see that. The beautiful thing is we see that in the text. We're going to see that as we look here. So it's not an issue of of values, but there's roles of each. And yet we also say sin has tainted these. Where men are to lead, we see poor leadership. Or where women are to come under and complement, we see a drive to lead, perhaps. The women who are capable, like Deborah, And I'm not saying here all leadership by women is sinful, but in leading God's people, God has ordained it to be a role for men. Okay, so how how are we looking at that here? Here would be my background. Here's words from Moses. His father-in-law approached Moses as he was judging. He was judging a lot of people through the day in Exodus 18 Jethro finds Moses. He finds him exhausted, overwhelmed with the work. If you remember that, he's judging the people. His father-in-law says, basically, you can't do this yourself. You need some help. And the help was in the form of more judges. And here is what Moses is to look for in these judges. Here's what part of Exodus 18 says. Look for able men from all the people. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. Now I grant, the judges we're seeing here, they're not exactly the same, and it would seem that Deborah, she's not someone incapable or, or incapable to judge, but I think this is telling of the times in Israel in which they're living. So let me put this before you. No leader in this case, I think, was found among the men. 
I think you can make an argument. Hopefully you'll see through the text. So we find a woman in the role of judging. It's not necessarily an indictment on Deborah, but it tells us something of the leadership in this evil era and that it's absent. Here's what Wayne Grudem says regarding Deborah here, this verse 4. You can look at your text while I read this quote. I, I think you'll see this. He says, quote, Judges 4.4 suggests some amazement at the unusual nature of the situation in which a woman actually has to judge Israel because it piles up a string of redundant words to emphasize that Deborah is a woman. Translating the Hebrew text, literally the verse says, and Deborah, a woman, a prophetess, the wife of Labadot, she was judging Israel at the time. Something is abnormal. Something is wrong. There are no men to function as judge. This impression is confirmed when we read of Barak's timidity and the rebuke he receives as well as the loss of glory he could have received. You check me on that. You study it for yourself. Look it out. But I think if you take chapters 4 and 5, which I know we haven't gotten to, as a whole, and we'll be here for a couple weeks, it seems we've got the issue of leadership going on and courage and other things, but there's roles even of women and men throughout these chapters. And again, I'm looking forward to studying it because we find in our study both are crucial to the account. It's not just, well, Deborah shouldn't have been there and was, was worthless if I would even say that. Crucial was she to the work. And yet, it's also telling of the day that they were in. Okay, so let's come back to our text, verses 6 and 7, and now this one named Barak, or if we call him Barry. Deb, I wanted to title the sermon Deb and Barry, but we didn't. But if we say that, it's okay. So, um, verses 6 and 7. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinuam, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Question mark. Deborah's question here seems to imply... To me, as you look at this, it seems that God had already commanded something to Barak. It was already there. She's just saying, Didn't, don't you remember? Now, if you're in NIV and NASB, it translates it more like a present command, like go and do this. In the Hebrew, there is a marker that says that here's a question here. Kind of a has not he commanded. I think that's more the idea of this. It's more than a present command. It's, the verb here has an idea of a completed action in the past like has he not previously completely commanded you to do something sometimes that verb can be future we'll see it in a bit but here i believe god had already commanded barack and god was using deborah to spur him on to obedience you think deb's important here absolutely she's absolutely important in spurring on Barack at this point. My wife Hannah is not your pastor. 
right? But Hannah has a huge, good, and godly influence on me. I'm, we trust the Lord for whatever. I feel like I'm nothing without her so encouraging to what I do out here. It's a partnership. It's about how God has made marriage. Those roles and the necessary, the, the need of both of those in this. And so I think we see this here with Deborah saying, has not, do you remember? Remember God's command? So Barak here, he knew what he was to do, but he was reluctant. And even verse 8, it's going to show his, his timidness. But before we get to verse 8, I just want you to notice three truths coming out of verses 6 and 7. Just three of them. Look at the one who is commanding. Who is the commanding one? Who's calling? It's none other than verse 6, right? Yeah. The Lord, the God of Israel. Deb is not the commander. It's not an idea from Barak's mind. It's Yahweh's commands. And the Lord of eternity, that all-powerful, all-seeing, all-knowing God, He's the one that commands. And when He commands, it's time to, to act, to do when He says to go do. That's who's calling. Notice also the language. God's use of language is awesome and purposeful here. Verses 6 and 7, you may not see it in the English. There's a play on words. Barak is supposed to go. He's supposed to go, and do you see it in your text? He's supposed to go and gather your men. Go, kind of the idea is like draw, maybe pull up, pull together, gather your men. Well, the same Hebrew word is in verse 7 where God says what he's going to do. I'm going to draw out Sisera. You go draw your men. God says, I'm going to draw the enemy. And God's going to draw Sisera, his chariots, his troops. And in essence, he's saying, yeah, go Barak. You gather the men to yourself while I do the same with the enemy. And then one more. Yahweh gives a word of assurance in all of this plan. When you read these narratives, you come against just these small phrases just tucked in here that are beautiful. Look at the last phrase. I think it's a verse 7. And I will give him into your hand. That's the mighty God doing the work. Here, the verbal is a past tense, but it's set in the future. It's called a prophetic perfect. So it it looks to the future as a completed thing. Only God can look to the future and say, that's done. It's already. already, It's already going to happen, Barak. Obey me. Go do this. And the victory will be yours because I am behind the victory. What would your response be to a command like that? I've given them into your hand. Look at what Barry does in verse 8. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. I think it's at this point that you want to yell at the TV if you're watching this, right? You want to yell at the TV. Brock, did you not just hear what she said? God's going to give Sisera, He's going to give her, him into your hand. And now you just won't go unless Deb goes with you? What's, did you not hear what she just said? 
God's just confirmed his presence, and yet it seems to fly over Barak's head. It's a good thing we men here, we're different and we're more bold, right? When we have a hard task to do. At least, at least we're not like Barry here. Or are we? Are we timid to lead when we need to? Timid to go. We don't wait for others. I'll, yeah, yeah, I know there's the Lord, but when you go, I'll go, I'll go with you. I want to speak to you men. This, this feels like, the next three weeks are going to feel like a Father's Day, Mother's Day sermon all in one. So, picture, we're moving ahead in time here to May and June. But man, if this study, if this helps you begin to evaluate your own leadership in the home or at work or in the church, that's a good thing. Obedience to the king, our king that we sang about, it's not optional. It's not built on our own conditions and our saying, if this and if that, then all. We talked about Sunday school. God commands, thus do, go. Look at Deborah's response in verse 9. Rather than railing into Barak, though, she does lay it out, but listen to her response. Verse 9. She says, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Here's the confirmation that something was wrong with Barak's faith and obedience. It's this verse. Deborah reassures him she would go, and, and in her going, we're, we're going to find, as we look next week, we're going to find what a crucial part she played in this battle, as do all persons, both men and women, who are involved in the work of the Lord. And we're going to find, even in verse 14, again, her, once again, she's the voice of encouragement behind Barak's going to defeat the army that the Lord has gone out to win. But, alas, this path, this going of Barak would not be for his glory. Think of it, I think, glory in this way. When David returned from battle, the women would sing. Do you remember that? Saul has struck his thousands and David, I don't know how the tune went, but David, his 10,000, there was this singing that would go on. When Barak returns, I don't think you're going to hear the chants, Barak has slain the 900 chariots of iron. That's the idea here. It's, it's not going to be Barak's glory. Now, we do, it doesn't mean he's nameless. We find him in chapter 5, and lo and behold, we even find this guy in Hebrews chapter 11. Faith chapter. But the glory usually do a commander would be absent here. I want to ask a question. What was behind Deborah's statement? When she says here in verse 9, uh, I will surely go with you, nevertheless, this, this phrase, the road on which you are going. What's behind this road on which you were? He was on a road. What kind of road is he on? If I could suggest here, I mean, we know there's a road and, and there's this way. But I think Barak was on a road of disbelief, unbelief leading to disobedience. God had commanded him, do this, go. I've already given him into your hand. Deborah's like, do you remember this? So twice, God 
spoken into his life. And there is a sense of unbelief, disbelief, and timidity to obey what he's supposed to do. His faith at this point seems, you know, I just mentioned he's in Hebrews 11. It seems at this point pretty weak. He wouldn't even go unless Deborah would go with him. And it seems like he's encountering this weakness, faithfulness, faithlessness, I should say, in the Lord. And so his leadership is waning. Well, as far back as creation, God's created Adam in a role of headship and Eve in this role of complementary help. Though here in Judges, Israel has abandoned the Lord Even the different roles, I think, of men and women are confused. We still see here an unfolding transformation of Barak eventually to take the lead. All the while, all the while, Deborah, her encouragement to do that. Deborah didn't, isn't it amazing? The text doesn't say Deborah said, oh, you're so scared. You're such a wimp. I'm going to go do, you know, let a woman do what you're supposed to do. I'm going to go into battle. We don't see Deborah leading down the charge. She's behind, but she's saying, go. So, crucial part of that complementary relationship. Lead, help, go forward. So, she goes with him. Look at verse 10. Barak called out Zebulun, Naphtali to Kadesh, the 10,000 men come up at his heels. There's something now. He's leading in some way, and we're going to look at it more next week. And Deborah went up with him. Each of us, as men, we must examine the road we are on. What road are you on as a man? Is it a road of faith? A road of obedience? A road of leadership? I'm going to listen to God for what our role should be or the world. What does the world think I should be like? I don't, I don't know. Will you take the initiative to lead your family or just abdicate that? That's, my wife will take care of that. You know, but kids, go put the pizza in. I'm going to the couch. Uh, by the way, probably be a good idea to read your Bible. That our type of leadership, kind of by the way, Man, God's called us to something different than that. It's what He's designed us to do. One thing you need to know, though, you're unable to go it alone. If you're on conviction, convicted, the road you're on, the road you've been leading your family on is filled with error, I can look back and go, I have a marked up road of what I'm supposed to be, what God says is my role, and what my role has looked like. If that's you, you are primed to run to, once again, the deliverer, to Jesus Christ. Satan would have us look on the road. It's too late. I'm too old. It's over. Jesus says, come to me. You're weary. I will give you rest. And then move on in Christ with His forgiveness because He paid it all paid the penalty for sin. He paid for our laziness. Not that we should stay there, but He paid for it. Paid for us that we might be created in Him to do the good works we were created to do now in Christ by His Spirit. We can move forward in the freedom of Christ. Not looking back, looking forward to 
confess it, Lord. There are areas of my life as a leader I have failed in. I've not been bold. I've been like, well, if you'll go and I'll go. And I've been timid. May that not describe the men that are here. If you're visiting or the, the men of Bethany. May we be men of God. And I'm talking young men and older men. All men. You are, remember, you're equipped. He's given us His Spirit to lead us. For many of you, a wife who really wants to follow your lead. She enjoys When you lead, whoa. When you open in prayer for the family, it's a wonderful thing. There's a church around you and a word to guide you. And then, what about the women? I'm just encouraged to look at your role as well. You are designed by God for a grand purpose. We're already seeing it in the text before us. We see God work, God at work through Deborah and Barak. Would you be an encouragement to your man today and even celebrate small steps of him leading out? Way to go. I saw that. I noticed that. Does it mean you're just always silent about the Lord's commands? Hannah has not always been silent. But it's good for me to hear, oh, you're right. I needed to hear the rebuke. All those going on, and God works through that. And let me, by the way, just say pray. (laughs) Either way, husbands, wives, whether you're not married, is to pray. Pray for your man that he would lead, for your wife that she would follow, that, Lord, help me to lead in a way that is godly, because my flesh wants us to say, I'm the leader, and that's what the Bible says, and so do it this way, instead of gently loving and leading her along. Let's pray together. Lord, in all of this, some of these are great encouragements for marriage and life and what it looks like to be men that lead and to be women that help and have a grand purpose. But Lord, as I pray then, may we not miss Your might moving behind the scenes moving in our lives for Your glory. You are the one that strengthens husbands to do what You've called them to do and strengthens wives to do what You've called them to do and mothers and daughters and sons. And Your cross speaks over it all for we recognize our flesh and our failures. And we need You, Jesus. Your grace is shown here in the life of Israel and it culminates in the cross and the risen Savior we just celebrated last weekend. May the homes represented here that are hearing this message today be godly homes. Lord, help us as men to live out what what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. Lord, may we not be timid and scared, but courageous in You. We look to You because we need help. We know how weak we are. So that all the glory goes to the all-sufficient Savior, Jesus Christ. You've been listening to Bethany Radio. 
a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.